Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is... Robert Webb! Hello. 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 Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me. My no. God, I'm excited about this. Me too. I, yeah. this for ages. This, I was thinking this morning, this is really nice. It's an excuse to sit around a table. Yes. And we haven't done that for ages. I'm mainly here to sit around the table, and, and then I gather there'll be lunch later. Yeah, which that's will be, the promise. Fantastic. Know, um, just, you know, I'm just straight off the back, I'm including the listener. Um, <laughs> who will, or maybe we'll tape lunch as well. And Let's record lunch. Yeah, we haven't, I, we haven't I recorded so. lunch yet. Just our moist eating noises. I think people, what you do is, can you get yourself a lunch, and then at the end of this, you have your lunch, and you'll know we're having our lunch, and we can have lunch together. Yeah. yeah. Communal lunch. That's a whole new concept. I'd like to take the world to lunch in perfect <laughs> harmony. Well, be very nice, but it, t- it takes me back to to um, going and sitting around tables at BBC now defunct television centre. Oh, back in the day and when there used rubbish. to be sketch shows on the television. Yeah, yeah it was a little while ago, but uh, yes, we used to do that. That it's was a frightening that was long time. I would look forward to those meetings. They were vaguely, ba- I mean, in mine and David's head, I'm sure it had been done forever. But in mine and David's head, it was, va- it was vaguely based on the way that uh, when we wrote for Armstrong and Miller, when they were at Channel Four, and there would be Ben and Zander. Well, there'd be Ben, and then Zander would sort of wander down as, as if he was watching the servants eat. And what, what are we all doing down here? Oh, <laughs> Who no, are you? I'm ben, ben. I do a sketch show. <laughs> there with was you. Ben and Zander, <laughs> and then um, me and David and. and Four, you know, it's all rolling, you know, th- four or six other Bert and George, people. Those sort of people. Bert and George, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and then, you know, I would look forward to that because I knew that I was just going to spend three hours laughing. And oh, it they was... were, they're such fun. And you said the wisest thing about, we, um, to put this in context, dear listener, 
we were complaining to Rob because we had been in another writing room, which was truly awful. It was an incredibly <laughs> depressing experience. It was tense. And we came and we were tense talking to angry. we were talking to Rob about it, and Rob said, "Yeah, the thing is, when you're hosting a writing room, you're hosting a party. That's how you behave." And what had happened in the yeah. writing room that we'd gone to that had gone wrong is that the people who we were writing for were and saying to the entire work. room of writers was just going, "No, not that." Oh, for God's sake. Which goes, which goes to Josh's well, was, thing. There are no bad pitches. You, know? also, you never say no. You say to, yes. It's but. also, it's also. I mean, you know, in in the case of Armstrong and Miller, it was Phil Clark, and with us, of course, it was Gareth Edwards. And you know, the producer sets the tone. And when you've got yep. two of the nicest guys in yeah. business, yep. Yep. and they are nice, and I've met Jesse Armstrong, and they're still nearly as nice as that. <laughs> um, uh, then that that really helps. And David and I, yeah, we were on our best behaviour because it, you, there has to be this atmosphere of not to sound wanky, mutual trust and respect and acceptance. And forgiveness and you're allowed to say stuff that's shit yep. and no one's going to go you idiot get out <laughs> um, everyone starts looking for a way to help there are, a bunch of, there are a bunch of writers recently uh, been really entertaining Andy Riley I think might have started he was sharing old writers guides from the 90s from sort of like spitting image and sort of like radio writers guides there's a really strange tone to them they're very much you are joining an elite it is almost impossible to write a sketch. Uh, here are the rules, and we can do it, and you probably can't. And it's really weird. And oddly, I was saying, what was it about the world of comedy back then that made it feel like maybe an Oxbridge entrance exam or a public school entrance it exam? Like, it was exactly like that. It's like and, the, the we're back, the yeah. incredibly horrible people who are unaccountably vicars. Yeah. Unaccountably <laughs> comedy producers. Yeah. And there was a real aggression to it, saying that we... And I, I was sort of feeling, of, we've been through this. We've done Edinburgh. We've done we've done four series of weekending. I've been on the headlines. Oh, You'll guys. never get through. We The spitting image writers guide was basically a single I remember being sent this when we were early writers and it was a single sketch which was a four line spudgy like quickie mm. and it said this is the only sketch we took from an uncommissioned writer you're unlikely to get in because we're already full and that feeling of turning up at a place where it's all been done already and you're yeah. You're sort of you're queuing up outside like people I don't know people looking for a job on the docks. Yeah, I mean, any work it today? Just, it was. I only went to like two um, weekending meetings. I can't even remember who the producer was at that time. It might have been Bill Dare. I can't remember. I never. I don't think I ever met him because you would you would go there and you'd be in this room with these manual typewriters all <laughs> all around the edges yep. and these very old, very angry white men smoking and yep. complaining. <laughs> yep. And that was the room. And then the commissioned writer. You know, the likes of Dan Gaster or, you know, royalty of that level would sweep past in, their, in my imagination in their capes and their, <laughs> on their hoverboards. And, and, um, and you were stuck in the room with these miserable fuckers. Uh, so I, yeah, David and I, we, you know, we did our pot. We tried to do our porridge, but it was just too different. I think I got one thing on. Maybe that's the connection because mm. I know there's obviously uh, Ben and Zandra had been writers. They'd been through the process. You'd been writers on their show, and there was a sense mm. of passing on a feeling of going. We know what it feels like from the other side of the table yeah. here, and to turn up. And the, the joyous thing about those, those certainly those Michelin web writers rooms was almost uniquely in TV sketch comedy because very often you're sending stuff in from outside yeah. and you assemble a sketch out of that. But that had a core team of a bunch of writers who would, a rolling team of writers who would get together and swap ideas. And it meant that if you had half an idea, yeah. you could throw it in and it would very rarely get a no. It would usually, especially from you guys, get a yes and because mm. it would tickle you and especially because you were the performers, you'd throw it back in voice or character and suddenly the thing would come to life and you'd find that your half idea, by the time it rolled around the table and John Finnemore and Toby Davis and Sam and Jesse or someone had a go yeah. on it or Simon Kane or someone had had a go on it. It was just lovely and delightful. Bartman and Evans, funny people were making it funnier. And by the time it came back to you, you kind of, when someone said, well, who's going to write that up? You almost felt bad saying, well, that was mine. Yeah. Because it was everyone's. Yeah. And it was much easier to, 
to just assemble a sketch show out of everyone's best ideas rather than you protecting your own. Yes, mm. I mean, that, I mean, that's yeah, it's really important. I mean, you, you turned up with five or six ideas, three of which you thought might be good enough to be on the show, and there was a bit, bit more pressure on me and David because we always wanted to make sure we'd written at least half of it, yeah, yeah. or or at least half of what got what got uh, recorded, if not broadcast. You would let us write the stuff that wouldn't get shown. Yes, that exactly. would happen yeah, for that. You, you did the misses, and we, we did all the hits. <laughs> hit miss, hit miss, miss um, miss hit. I think one of the funniest moments of my entire life was when Simon Kane in a room pitched uh, that sketch in which you're playing Daniel Day-Lewis but he's frightened of his moustache <laughs> which is one of my favourite sketches oh. actually I'm from a just from a vain actor's point of view I, I really like my performance in that and uh, yeah and I also got to look quite handsome in my in my Daniel Day-Lewis moustache and wig um, and and David's cruelty about uh, drinking the milk and he, of course he, he can't drink the milk because he's going to get milk on his tash and then the, his, his tash is going to make him lose his mind again. A towering return to form after the breakdown which saw Dan Tooting abandon acting seemingly for good on the set of Marty Zars The Boondock Feuds. 98-67. You know, it gets harder to kill a man as you get older. Not easier. Harder. More hard. <laughs> you might think it gets easier, but in fact, <laughs> the opposite is to just get this off me, get this thing off me! That was a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, Simon just brought in these ideas from out of space. Here's a reason why those rooms need to be friendly. Simon pitched that. I think he pitched three ideas which were pretty good. And he said, we got to the point where you were, everyone was scraping their barrel. And he said, I've got one idea that I won't even say it. It's too stupid. And everyone went, because he knew it was Simon, went, come on, come on, got to do it. And pushed him and he said, I've got this idea that Daniel Day-Lewis is frightened of his own moustache. <laughs> everyone burst out laughing and he was surprised it was a joke that worked outside his head. Yeah. And there's a delight in that. If you because, don't feel because you a lot of his ideas don't, don't. work. <laughs> I, I, I think the other three have been shouted down. So this is his fourth. This is the one he wasn't confident about. But he still threw it in because he knew if someone else found it funny, it would live and thrive. And yeah. I think even he was surprised he was asked to write that one up. And it turned out to be brilliant. Which brings uh, us, with a slight crunching of gears, yes. to shit or wank. <laughs> oh, right, I yeah. think now, shit or wank came out of metal or normal. Yes, yeah. I think it did. We, did, did we write Metal or Normal? Metal yes, or Normal? Me- metal or Normal was on the radio. radio. That that is, is a quiz show on the yeah. radio. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, is it yeah. Metal, is it Normal? Which yeah. I only realised recently is the two settings on a cassette deck. Yeah. I'd always thought it was just Metal or Normal was just a pretty uh, good description of all things in reality. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> they did fall into two camps. That's very sweet, Joel, that you were nodding along to us all going <laughs> Metal or Normal. No thing. idea. What, what the hell are they talking about? I didn't need the reference to find it funny. Okay, well, that's just as well, because no one born after 1980 got it either. Yeah, I was your millennial <laughs> test crowd. Yeah. So shit or wank was a thing that used to happen in the Michelin Web writing room at about four o'clock when everybody crashed, and it was it was and everyone always... just starts swearing. Yeah, and, and it was the most obscene was... thing we could get away with. Do I remember this right? It was a game show in which someone went into what was effectively a toilet cubicle, glittery toilet, cubicle. and then someone else had to guess whether they were having a shit or a wank from outside. I don't remember it being that structured. 
<laughs> I think it was because I think we tried. We, put, we pitched it to Gareth Edwards. I can't remember whose idea it was. It sounds like a room one. It doesn't sound like it belongs to anybody. Gareth would put his dad face on at that. But point. yeah, Gareth would occasionally when he when he went out the room for something, make a phone call or something, come back in and he would find <laughs> shit or wankers back on the table. Shit or wank. It was usually because he basically you get to a point when you're in production or whatever where you 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 have to go out for a meeting about fire extinguishers or something about the production of the show. And when he came back, the idea was that the class had got naughty, like an unruly it school class. Like, yeah, or like it's we're four, throwing paper planes. Series four decadence has set in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, all we've got left is shit or wank. <laughs> it's actually on the table again. My, my favourite writing room day was definitely Cheezoid, which I think oh, was, well, that was an organic yes. sketch that came out of the whole room giggling about things. Cheezoid hates self. And that built on, I think everyone threw for that. And I think we, that was, oh God, glory days. We finished the day there because you usually run out of energy by about three or four. And Cheezoid would keep, <laughs> had kept us going through the lunch bit. Cheezoid's another sort of binary thing, like metal or normal. It's oh, yeah. Cheese or petrol. It's one yes. of my favourite jokes is something with, with, with a switch that can only go in two settings and because that's I not think, enough. I think <laughs> the three of us and David and Toby especially had started talking to each other in this voice where we, for some reason, we say petrol. Salad, instead salad, of salad, 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 petrol. Right, like, like some salad. Yeah. And, uh, and eventually that was going. Going to erupt like a pustule uh, into a sketch at some point. I'm really glad it was cheesy. Everyone got the giggles about it and the idea of the suicidal robot. And then it, the, the the energy went out of the room and we had the, the four till five shift you're paid for when no one's got any good ideas. Yeah. And everyone was absolutely dead. And then we went to the BBC bar when there was a BBC bar. And then we all sat down to have a quick drink before we went home. And we all got the giggles about it again. And I remember that being one of those lovely days where everyone got notepads out again in the bar. Mm. And the sketch sort of came to life with us all with a pint in so lovely Mark Evans' lovely observation that humanity is at its best after a drink and a bit yes. and we all suddenly got really loose and giggly about it and that sketch came out of, of everyone giggling in the bar which felt like oh god was it like this in the old days well, you, if mean, we'd been we born were, in the 70s we'd been allowed to write like this all the time funny thing about our generation isn't that we, that we turned up just as the old days had finished I mean, we were constantly being told yesterday was the old days yeah. uh, where, you know, you had a proper sit down lunch and everybody rehearsed at the Acton Hilton yeah. and Del Boy would be talking to Lawrence Olivier. To a Cyberman. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there'd be constant Daleks and Cybermen walking around <laughs> as they rehearsed the good life. And everyone had at least three pints at lunch, if not a bottle of wine. And then they'd go and record with a load of heavy equipment and cameramen pushing these massive Dalek-like cameras with cigarettes around. cigarettes on. With, with fat. <laughs> and you just wonder how the fuck they got anything done. Like I'm, like I'm, you know, I've never voted for it, but like I'm a child of Thatcher, sort of emerging from the eighties and going, "How did any of you? What are you talking about? You were pissed all afternoon." <laughs> There's that that feeling of, of you having just arrived, just as the fun had stopped. I remember reading yeah. Jane Busman's memoir, and she obviously was a terrific, terrific writer, and she left to go to LA and become a showbiz journalist. And she describes it in her memoir as, "At the moment, it stopped being fun." I checked the date, and I went, "That's the." The moment I got a job, you, said, apparently it was fun the day before, and he turned up, and it was all the all the nibbles had been eaten. It was turning up yeah. a party too late. And the all f- the actors, especially actors of a certain age, were all absolutely furious with John Burt, and you, <laughs> and you just knew you don't don't get them onto the subject of John Burt or oh, what, yeah. what it used yeah. to be like or any of that stuff. He decided to just, make it like a business. They, he really did, and they, he was he was never forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> That brilliant feeling. 
especially when you were still making stuff at Television Centre, that you were part of this great tradition that yeah. you'd seen echoes of. You'd seen because yeah. when you watched shows growing up, you saw glimpses of the crew in yes. Kenny Everett or Morecambe Wise or the Milligan or whatever. They they take the cameras out and you'd see those corridors. Yeah, and, and in some shows you, you would hear them as well. You'd hear them laughing. Yeah. Yes, uh, in I Swap know, Shop or Kenny Everett. Wasn't, well, yeah. it was not BBC, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and it was that was lovely, and it was that kind of behind the scenes. Oh, I'm in on this yeah. thing. It's like I'm part of this. Show. And then by the time we got to BBC Bar, half of it had been turned into a gym. <laughs> and you're like, that's just that's the just BBC cruel. Bar was really weird because it was called the BBC Club, and you <laughs> had to be sort of a member of the club. And and if you were, which we weren't, because we weren't to in sneak the, in. I don't know, we weren't in the union, or we weren't uh, something was we, wrong. We were making a program. We were which making is not a program, enough. so we weren't really allowed in the bar. And quite a few times, we, Dave and I were turned away from the bar, having made. A series of that Mitchell and Redlow just coming up from the studio after a recording. No, of course he can't go in the bar. So we went in the so we go in the green room where everyone had been watching it, and that's fine. But no, you yeah. can't go in the pub after you've made a show for us. <laughs> I got the feeling that there was there was a lot of ambivalent feelings about TVC, and that it was the, it was this iconic and gorgeous thing and part of everyone's history. And you've seen that shot a million times. On you know children in need or whatever or Blue Peter or whatever. Record Blue breakers. Peter Garden for crying out <laughs> yeah, loud yeah, yeah. all of that stuff and top of the box studio nobody actually enjoyed working there they all fucking hated that building they hated the way it was too hot in the summer and too cold in the winter nothing really worked uh, and they were, everyone moaned about it all the time but of course it's a disgrace that it's been turned into flats <laughs> because it was our mess I would do, yeah, exactly. do the, if you did the last few series that we did there when they were closing you know, I think we were working on Miranda or something and we're going in there sort of towards the, 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 the closing doors the big piece and we're describing it as being like Gorman Ghast. Oh. It was like a crumbling castle, like the castle in Jabberwocky. Yeah. You'd be sitting in an office and bits of it would be falling out of the ceiling into your cup of tea. And there was a feeling of it sort of like at the end of a movie where the, where the villain's base is being shaken by a death ray. <laughs> and it just felt like it was collapsing around you. And you kind of went, oh, I've got to say goodbye to this. But I think I'm really glad that we had a chance to go and play in it. For Definitely. A bit, just for the sake of saying you were there where no, I'm very they did Python and things. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I remember sitting in a, an office uh, in Television Centre shortly before it closed, and there was um, and lots of the furniture had gone by this point. But there was one set of drawers left still in this office. Large, so big, melancholy. Big wide drawers, really wide drawers, and there was a label on one of these really wide drawers that just said Anne Widdicombe. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm not opening it. I'm not opening it. <laughs> Do not open the Widdekin drawer. It's like, it's like an M.R. James short story. Don't open it because evil will be released and will chase you. Oh, Pandorica. Obviously, we're here to talk about one Anne of the shows Widdekin. that was made there. No, not Anne Widdekin, but actually one of those shows, those iconic shows that it just reeks of live BBC recording in probably its glory days. Yeah. It? So, yeah, what have you brought in to talk about? It's The Young Ones, and it's the first episode of Series 2, Bambi.
what a fucking episode it is. Isn't it great? I thought, you know, I, let's do something. I'm, you know, I have outrageously mainstream tastes. I, I could have brought in something cooler. <laughs> but no, fuck it. It's it's not only The Young Ones. It's Series 2 of The Young Ones. Yeah. Which, which, you know, if I was a proper comedian, I would obviously prefer Series 1. I don't. I like the one where they've they've worked out how to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they've I worked like out how to, how to do it better. Yeah. And they've obviously chosen this as Episode 1 because they're really pleased with it. That's the one I want to talk about. But this is but Bambi is kind of like the best of the young ones. Gonna, I, uh, I'd forgotten how many of my favourite bits are yeah. in this thing because I know that yeah. if I knew that it was the University Challenge episode, and therefore you get bonus, you know, Fry and Laurie and Emma Thompson. But I'd forgotten this is also the laundry. Episode. Yeah. Yes, this is where they go to the laundrette. That's the thing I'd forgotten as well. Which and it's one of my favourite sequences. It's extraordinary. It's fucking brilliant. Why the washing I... machine trying to be sick? Good noises. La di da. And now he's found, you know, Felicity uh, Kendall's, Kendall's underwear. underwear. I mean, <laughs> what, what's actually going on there? In it, in it, you know, stuffing that thing with. I mean, it's it's horrific when you think about it. <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, no, it's really, really funny. I mean, there are shows that there are probably shows that I that I found more sort of consistently funny. There are probably shows that are more fully achieved and more accomplished. But the, the word that you use at the introduction at the top of this thing every time is love. And I, you know, it really is, as Cliff says, once in every lifetime comes a love like this. And I've never loved a show before, or, or I don't really expect a sh- to love a show more in the future either because you're only 11 once watching this and having just the majesty of what is possible in TV comedy revealed to you for the first time uh, that's only going to happen once Who are we playing anyway, Neil? Footlights College Oxbridge It's going to be really heavy and tough Well, I've done my revision The Daily Mirror Book of Facts Did you know? <laughs> Would you keep that where they get the questions from? <laughs> the world record for stuffing Marshmallows up one single nostril. 604, Toxothal Cryday, USA. Uh, the world's stickiest bogey. That's Toxoth again. The world's stupidest bottom burp, Vivian Britton. Says Rick here. I was too young to watch the. I was nine when the first series went out. I don't think I was even aware of it. Yeah. But 11. I think uh, occasionally, depending on my mother's mood or whether she'd had a gin or not, uh, <laughs> she would let me stay up and work because it, it was nine thirty, which was pushing it a bit. But I was—I think most weeks I was allowed to see it, and I might have chosen this one actually because I'm certain that this is one of the ones that I watched with my brothers. And uh, my brothers are five and six years older than me, and so we didn't have that much in common, except we did tend to laugh at the same things. And I remember the fantastic montage in this episode to uh, magnificent Lemmy standing there and singing the Ace of Spades and they're getting to the... Bristol uh, Temple Mead Station running through dicking about. Exactly. <laughs> running around, dicking around and Vivian stuffing that donut in his face and then giving the V sign <laughs> to, that, to that corpsing woman. <laughs> the woman who just laughs. <laughs> and I, I distinctly remember me and my brothers really loving that and my mother looking a bit disapproving from time, remembering to look a bit disapproving from time to time but really enjoying it as well. It was it was it was a like it was like watching Only Fools and Horses. We watched that as a family, and everybody enjoyed it. But it had this just this for me this sense of discovery that you could play something with such conviction and such devotion. I mean, the way Rick and Aid and Nigel, in particular, just every line is they are just so committed, and it's mm. it's just wonderful. And representing Scumbag, we have Mike. 
Crick, Vivian, and Neil. Vegetable rights and peas. I was about the same age. So I didn't realise, it never occurred to me that they weren't expecting us lot to watch this. Yeah. It was 9.30. This is meant to be for students. It wasn't meant to be for kids at all. It's for 18 to 22-year-olds, I guess, is what you would have said to the BBC. They said, who's it for? Right, so you can do tampon jokes, you can do uh, rude things. And weirdly, because it's a big cartoon, Mm. and it's got the values and the energy of a cartoon, loads of kids watched it. And you watch it, and you go, it's basically gumball. It's just a a crazy cartoon. And... I think they were, they got so many complaints about it, and it was controversial. There was a big fuss about it because it didn't hit the audience it was meant for. Yeah. A bunch of kids, younger brothers, younger sisters, watched it, and then the parents went, "What are you watching?" But it's not it's no one's fault. It wasn't meant for ten year olds and eleven year olds. But yeah. my god, they just loved it. I think I it mean, was. It probably was meant to annoy parents, though, wasn't it? Because if you just look <laughs> at lot, the, I mean, look at the, the four time, of them I on that, that set, you go, "That is designed to annoy your parents, isn't it?" <laughs> it really is. But they do. They, they, you actually see them do it. You see them smash through the Good Life logo and annoy Neil's mum and dad. That you're you're supposed yeah. to, as a mum and dad, see yourself on the screen and go, "Oh God, we're Neil's mum and dad, aren't we?" And definitely by that point, they're aware of of, of that happening because in, by the seri- by series two, because at one point Rick turns to the camera and goes. Right, kids. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. about talking about how earwax tastes. <laughs> um, but I distinctly remember turning up. I was definitely at primary school. It was my last year of primary school, and we because we all turned up and started. You have these eleven and ten year old boys laughing at each other for being virgins. <laughs> you're a virgin. No, you're a virgin. And that's like, yeah, I should fucking hope so. It's because it escapes its intended audience, and it's hitting accidentally everyone else. There is a feeling of this belonging to you, I suppose. Yeah. As in your... I remember my aunt coming around who was a bit cooler than my mum. Hmm. And she was explaining to her that the young ones was all right because my mum was worried I was that watching That is the it. fun aunt. And the fun aunt... Yeah, she was the fun aunt. She was the one who'd been a model in the 60s and was a bit oh, funky. great. And she came around and said, no, it's really funny. It's a proper sitcom. And she said, the characters are really good. And my mum kind of went... She went, oh, good then. She was worried it was just shouting and okay. farting. She went, no, it's a proper... Because it was a proper sitcom, it was like, then okay for me to carry on watching it. But there was a feeling of, of, of that I feel sometimes when I wander in on my son watching a YouTuber, like, I don't know whether this is all right or, or mm. not. And I bet it would have been frightening for, for adults because it is. it does look like the grown-ups are out. And yeah, they're I mean, just you, pissing you just about. Feel, I mean, it's, it's partly a function of how old I was when I... You know, it got to me so early. And also... Um, how much I love it, but I mean, I, I I watched this episode recently with just for the purposes of this with uh, my wife Abby, and I just realised that every time there was a big laugh, I looked at her with this kind of pride, and it's like, <laughs> and she and it, you know she, she was at boarding school with no telly, but she she's of course she's aware of it, but it's like it's like I'm showing off to her. Look about, what my guys about, are doing about my show. Yeah, and it's like because it, it felt I was I was in the because you, you spent your childhood doing impressions of these people, and it's of course it's my it belongs to me. It's you know, and it, and I've met most of these guys, most of that generation. They're all nice. Uh, they never let you down. They've, I mean, not one asshole between them so far. And it, it's just so joyful that the first thing you get to say to them is thank you for the you yeah know, for yeah. for that because it it feels like it's part of yourself and it's certainly part of what why I'm it, to the extent I'm in this business in this business it's because I wanted to be in the young ones oh shut up Neil if you hadn't been born at all then we wouldn't even be here because there'd only be three of us and three isn't enough to go on university challenge so it's your fault what you said earlier on about it showing you the potential of television mm. this is really dumb 
this should be fucking obvious. And this occurred to me literally outside the office on the walk in. I went, oh, I'd always thought it was about rebellion. Like it was about these four mm. rebellious guys. They're the young ones. They're big bottomed anarchists. <laughs> and I'd always gone, okay, no wonder kids like it. No wonder teenagers like it. Because those four guys, they're rebels. And even though they're funny rebels, and they're not really, and they're quite weak, and they've got lovely jokes about them not really being rebels. But it's not about them being rebels. It's about the show being a rebel. Mm. What the show mm. says to you is, obviously, what it doesn't say to you is, if you ignore all the rules, things will be great. So if you ignore all the rules, your socks will smell and you won't eat properly and yeah. people will punch you in the face. What it says to the show is, you can ignore all the rules and you'll be on television. <laughs> As in, they will let you do a thing where this episode, I, just, I it suddenly dawned on me, I thought, this is the episode that you always quote, this or probably, probably this or Summer Holiday, the last episode, mm. are the ones you quote and you say, hey, they did behave at some points. This is a proper sitcom. It may look like a load of silly asking about, but this one, this is a proper solid sitcom. And I watched it and it fucking isn't. There's literally no structure, no <laughs> I, shape to I it. I did wonder, you know, about being a fan of this podcast, whether we were, whether we were going to attempt to talk about the structure of the young... <laughs> there is no structure. No, I mean, you know, and but who, it says it's okay. Nobody, it says who gives nobody a shit. cares. <laughs> because, as, well, God almighty, we talked about the, the intimidating writer's guides for sketch shows. The rules on how to write and structure narrative, how to write plot and character, mm. and the rules... And the, the circles of intent and the diagrams that get drawn. The young one says, look, you can influence a whole generation of people by saying, do you know what? Punk style, you only need three chords. You can probably just do this. As long as everyone's committed and everyone's really funny and you put your favourite funny jokes in, structure it very lightly. Make sure the characters work. They can fucking do what the hell they like. Yeah. And they do. This is, uh, <laughs> so many things in this bloody episode I didn't, I'd forgotten were in this episode, including calm yourself, Doctor, not the nine o'clock. We are men of science. So Victorian. Do- where's where's, get, where's this come from? Yeah, and you get, and you get, again, you get, Sketch. and that's the great joy of it. You get other people from that generation coming in and doing a turn. And you've got Robbie Coltrane, and I'd completely forgotten Tony Robinson yeah, yeah, yeah. was in it as the, as the, you unfeeling bastard. <laughs> that's Doctor, not the nine o'clock. You. <laughs> and uh, and then and of course Mel and Griff and it's uh, and it's yeah you know it's just packed with all of this talent and and has this incredible energy. I mean that's why yeah. I couldn't get over the first time. I just couldn't believe my eyes that people were coming in through windows and yep. hitting each other with saucepans, but with such. I, I mean, it's not like I hadn't seen that before, but these were grown-ups doing it yeah. and doing it really hard. And it's just, <laughs> just, just the, you know, just the, the intention. Uh, I mean, it's and the, not, on structure, it's not even... Is it, it's about halfway through the episode before Neil remembers what this episode yeah, is about, that's it. basically. Oh, what, yeah, what, they've been a the brilliant lockdown. performance where he suddenly remembers. Oh! Oh, wow! just remembered what it was I had to tell you. We've been picked, right, to go on University Challenge tonight. <laughs> to the station! Music! I sat down and I thought, well, I'll try and do a structure pass on it. I just did my thing, just running the clock, putting the clock timer up on the TV, and I went, oh, what it is, and why it feels a bit anarchic and rebellious, and I think why it still feels a little bit modern. One of the things that excited me is I thought, hang on, it's three acts. There are three stories. Uh, there's the laundrette. Yeah. Mm which is about 10 minutes. There's a train journey. Of course. And arriving, the second act, about eight minutes. And there's another sketch at the end, about 10 minutes, which is a university challenge sketch. It's three sketches. Now, three sketches of about 10 minutes. That's a YouTube clip. That's a YouTube clip and a YouTube clip and a YouTube clip. That's how you consume comedy if you're a teenager now. You'd watch 10 minutes, get a bit bored, 
And then he'd hope it would be a different story. It's three different stories. It's the young ones go to the laundrette, the young ones go on a train journey, and the young ones do a quiz show. Yeah, it's and three even, the, even the, the train journey's got two elements, hasn't it? It's got the, I mean, I, I literally screamed when, uh, when, you know, Vivian's decapitated himself by sticking his head out of the train. His head is on the track, and he says to his body, you took your time, you bastard! And then he gets kicked in the face by his own body. I think I, think I nearly died life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And then it's got it's also got that great almost a self-contained sketch with Rick and Neil talking about having a having a revision. Loads and loads and loads and loads. Yeah, and just, and just that unbelievable that panic that you. I mean, I, I I didn't really understand that when I was eleven. That you know, not being not having revised for exams. Yeah. I didn't have any exams, but. Um, but you know that's a sort of I I gather Ben Elton's quite pleased with that. But I've seen an interview where he said, okay, a lot of the time it, it was just fast and fast and swearing and hitting, you know, Rick and Aid hitting each other. But I am quite proud of that part because there is something universal, certainly universal, not just for students, but for people who've got some kind of do deadline some kind of thing or, at mm. work that they've got to do. I knew it. I bloody knew you it. You didn't. You didn't. You said eleven seventy two. That's not a big old job. It's back on to bastard Neil. Just because you've done loads and loads of work for this, just because you're a creepy little swat, you've done about 50 million tons worth of work just like a girl, and just because I'm so hard and straight and cool that I've done absolutely bugger all, and you've done loads, look at it! beautiful is that Nigel Planer just gives as good as he gets with a completely different energy and he's got Rick going you shut up well, shut up and you know he's yeah. glowering at him yeah. I was watching because the the, 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 the cliche thing to say about this is that it's uh, obviously Rick and Ada where the, the, the core of the naughty energy the two naughty kids in the, in the sitcom family and the mum and dad people were a bit sort of Almost dismissive of. They sort of go, but the mum and dad are great in this. Yeah. The thing that I was blown away by is that I always go, if you say this is slapstick and cartoonish, it's itchy and scratchy and they're hitting each other. I was watching Nigel Planer's performance mm. and his slapstick, his sense of movement, oh, the God, way he yeah. moved. Mm. He is a cartoon character. He's droopy rather than, uh, than, than sort of the Tasmanian devil. But he's a cartoon character. 
the thing I wrote down, I went, oh, my God, the way he shakes his hair out of the girly bonnet. Take that stupid girly bonnet off. And he's dressed that, as... And and the way he shakes it out, his face, that is paced like a cartoon. Yeah, he's such a character. Gorgeous. And this episode has got the costume swap in yes, it as well. Yes, And this is where... And you get... A, you, for well, a, they come downstairs second, dressed as each other. Yeah. And I think how they going to how are they how are they going to get out of that? Oh, of course they just jump in the air like rent a ghost, and when they yeah. and when they teleport back there, uh, back there in the right clothes, you know, Rick is unsurprisingly very funny as Vivian. Marty, completely brilliant. You've got Chris being unsurprisingly very funny as Neil because uh, Chris is only about four foot nine. Yeah, and, so the, the and wig Neil's goes out to the ground. Yeah, exactly, his, 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 his wig comes down. Never mind the rest of the clothes. Don't bring me down and hassle me, Rick. I'm really confused. But then you get a, you get a little bit of an insight into what Chris Ryan had to deal with when when you see Aid playing Mike. Yeah. That actually, what is this guy? He's just a guy in a leather coat with sunglasses. You can't see his eyes, for God's sake. And yeah. And you start to sympathise with what what Chris Ryan had on his hands there. Okay, guys, come on. As the one guy said to the other guy who was getting fed up, I'm getting fed up. I want to wash my smalls. And I don't mean to my titties in a glass of water. Let's go. Because he was, as we know, he was a he was a late replacement. He's a bit older than the rest of them. He went to drama school. He didn't write, and so you know he is a bit of a misfit. But I think he did a great job with it. And I worked with Chris for uh, ten weeks doing a tour of Jeeves and Worcester, Perfect Nonsense. And the first thing I said, I don't wait. You know, life's too short these days. I always go up and straight up and say thank you because there's no point being shy to the. And they yeah. always like it. Yeah. So I just said, <laughs> can I just say thank you for the young ones and you were wonderful and young ones. Thank you. And uh, Chris went. Oh, it's very sweet of you, Robert, but I think we both know I was horribly miscast. Horribly miscast. That's the first thing he said. This man's been apologising for that performance for 38 years. There's nothing to apologise for. I love Mike. He just, yeah, I mean, he's clearly heard a lot of people saying, oh, oh dear, Mike. I did argue with him. God, that's shocking. I wrote down just because I thought, I need to fucking record this because I was so shocked by your thing. This is this is the best of the young ones. This is my favourite lines. Mm. And I wrote down just very, very quickly from the first third, the laundrette bit, which bits of this I have buzz around my head every morning yeah. when I wake up. I realise it's just part of my DNA, part of my vocabulary. Yeah. Favourite bits. Yeah. Here, here's my list. And it is... <laughs> Answer the phone, Neil. <laughs> Sausages and plants and goldfish. <laughs> What's this, Neil? Leftovers. <laughs> Who likes me? You haven't got a sister, Rick. You're a classic example of an only child. This house will become a shrine. And punks and skins and rasters will all gather around and hold their hands in sorrow for their fallen leader. Calm yourself, Doctor. Not the nine o'clock news. We are men of science. If you can't keep control of your socks, you shan't be allowed to have any. This cause for a very special blend of psychology and extreme violence. You know what they say? Dirty pants, clean body. Yeah, let, let's never wash our clothes again. Yeah. What do you mean, again? Who <laughs> oh, cockers doodle do, Neil? Can I just point out, my list is from the first ten minutes. Okay. I've got to stop now, because I've filled an A4 piece with my favourite young ones jokes from the first ten minutes. And loads of those are Mike. They're great yeah, lines, yeah, and he delivers yeah, them brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you mean, again, is a great line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
If you yeah. can't look after your socks, Vivian, you shan't be allowed to have any. <laughs> it's brilliant. And also, that's a great dad's line. That's his role as the yeah. dad. He he is doing a lot of fucking heavy lifting. Yes, he is. Keeping the plots going, really keeping tight, the guys in line. Part and you did it really well. Yeah, I've just uh, let's all raise a glass to Chris Ryan, who's Hooray. fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Nothing to be ashamed of. Very Cheers, Chris Very Ryan. nice man as well. We are genuinely drinking in your honour, mm. toasting you. That's good. That's too much gin for fucking ten mm. or twelve. Oh, a little sharp now. <laughs> well, now, what else we going to say? What's that? Is that Trano? That's Trano. <laughs> well, I'll give you. There's more. Uh, ha! They said that about the uh, something that took a long time. <laughs> 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 I mean, I can't do the delivery, but it's one. It's some of the best comic delivery I've ever seen. Let's, yes. let's also be honest here. You've got being nice to Chris Ryan again. You've got a thing here where there are so many people on here with funny bones, mm. not great technicians necessarily. Alexis has funny bones. He is a technician stand-up. He's not a technical actor, but he's just going to fill the screen. Rick Mal's going to fill the screen. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Emerson's going to fill the screen. Big personality. And there. Nigel Painter, who is a comic actor, but a big, brilliant, disciplined comic actor, you're up against some big guns yeah. to show. And you've been given the part that you're not meant to have, mm. and you're holding the reins. Uh, and I think the number... Of, Shut up, Rick, there's no one on fire, is probably my favourite line from the whole of the young ones, <laughs> and that's Chris Ryan. It's brilliant. <laughs> So there's so much of the time in this episode as well. They're just sitting around talking. There's just ideas yeah. happening. You know, yeah, like, it, it, it like, begins quite slowly, actually, doesn't it? It's, it's Rick trying to tell that anecdote about the girl at the party and nobody's yeah. fucking interested. Bloody amusing. Everybody listen to me. <laughs> Honestly, I think hands up who likes me. There's something <laughs> genuinely... I was, there's, there's desperation. I, there's something really human about hands up who likes me. The pointlessness of it. The fact no one's going to say yes. It's and a he question. does it again. It's a great status thing as well, isn't it? I mean, he does it again in that when they're sitting in the laundrette, he tries to make Mike laugh. Uh, I told and, you a million times, do not exaggerate. That's right, Mike doesn't really go for it. And then, then he turns straight back to Neil and says, shut up, Neil. <laughs> yeah, put the washing in, Neil. <laughs> So he can't can't get any can't get a, a bite out of uh, out of the dad, so he has to bully. Well, that's that's a sitcom. <laughs> but that's a sitcom thing, as in that what you should be able to do with a, with a good sitcom uh, setup, good sitcom characters, good sitcom actors, is put them somewhere, throw a tiny little thing in, like we need dinner. I am hungry. Mm. I mm. don't like you. And it should bounce off them all in like perpetual and you know, motion. And the, the only question should be, it's like a, a, a reaction with bicarbonate, soda and vinegar. Yeah. They should react immediately. And the only question should be, how do you stop them? And The Young Ones is a great demonstration of you don't need a lot of plot or anything because these four will fire off each other so brilliantly. Yeah. You can watch them around the kitchen table and then just throw Neil in out of breath. Answer the phone, Neil. It's funny when I was listening to the, the one you did about ever-decreasing circles and, and uh, the conversation moved on to, you know, how, the joy of sometimes it's great to have a, a show where characters genuinely like each other. Mm. It's charming to watch characters yeah. getting on with each other. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm bringing in the young ones. None of them like each other. <laughs> but, it, but on the other, they spend the whole time yelling at each other. But on the other hand, there is a sort of family dynamic. And, and, it, and you're right, it's the joy of a sitcom as opposed to... Well, you know, the stuff that sketch shows struggle with unless they have returning characters is that you're with a bunch of people and you know how they're going to react. Or even if they surprise you, they surprise you in a way that in retrospect you think, yeah, that was... Oddly, I was trying to... Of course they did that. I was trying to work out how this show stops because the question, once you've got the characters reacting, how do you stop the the chemical reaction that's keeping this show bubbling along? How do you put the brakes on? And it stops at the end with a thing that I'd always thought was a great thing where it's revealed that Rick has given Bambi the questions from the Daily Mirror Book of Facts so they can win. 
which is not really set up properly or anything. And no. it pays off and you go, hurrah, the show is finished. And you went, how was the show finished? And the answer is, because that's a really Rick thing to do. Yeah. And you're so satisfied that Rick's done it, even though it and makes... also the revision crisis. I mean, what do you mean you're revising? O-level history notes? Yes. Bit of pretty bloody brilliant luck, eh? We're doing exactly the same period as I did for O-level. It's, it's That's the not same, what you do. It's the same thing as I did for O-level history. What is? You're going to get a <laughs> That's complete... mastermind. You're yeah. Thinking... <laughs> you're going to get general knowledge question. It makes no sense. Who gives a shit? It makes no sense. <laughs> Rick has given a Bambi a question, to which Rick goes, No, I didn't. Ten points, scumbag, and your question, who produced the world's stickiest bogey? <laughs> uh, it's Oxford O'Grady. Correct, five points. You bum back! <laughs> The world's stupidest bottom bar. <laughs> uh, Rick, Britain. <laughs> Correct, five points. It is not! And finally, and finally, for five bonus points to take you into the lead, who's been tampering with my question cards? It was me! It was me! <laughs> He's given him a question which makes him look like a wanker. But by that point, the energy of it and the fact that it is so in character for Rick to have cheated... Yeah. At, at University Challenge that you go hurrah and you're cheering the fact that they're all behaving beautifully in character that Vivian's blown someone up that Neil's done a wee on Lord Snot's head uh, it's... <laughs> I've got a Porsche <laughs> Daddy sings hugs they are so brilliant and there's there's a great bit of structure in there is it goes it cuts to their uh, roles I must have seen this a million fucking times VHS and things I've watched it so many times but I'd never noticed until the time before last I watched this that it cuts from Alexi Sale's rant. 83% of top British management have been to a public school in Oxbridge, right? A rant about class. 93% of the BBC have been to a public school in Oxbridge, right? And it does a hard cut to their Rolls Royce. Rolls and you Royce went, with the teddy bear on the Oh, grill. it's a bit of stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ben Elton and Alexi Sale working together to say, well, we've got a point to make. It's fucking great. I'm expecting that. Do you know what the reviews said about the second series of The Young Ones? I, looked, I uh, checked this last night. I would imagine, having savaged the first series, they said, that, of course, we always said the first series was Shakespeare, but now they've really gone downhill. No? <laughs> no, they accused it of going mainstream. <laughs> oh, yeah, it would do, yeah. Have you seen anything oh, less mainstream twats. than... Oh. Calm yourself, Doctor, not the nine o'clock news. We are men of science. We feel no worldly terrors. Well, obviously, uh, Alexi Sale actually has got, has got in sort of a reputation now for having been really down on this episode because it had Oxbridge in it. Really? And he said he wrote an article really? for The Guardian in two, 2013 where he said, oh, apparently on set he went, I, I can't believe you've let these guys in. And it was Mel and Griff and the Oxbridge guys. He went, we're against them. We hate what? them. And apparently he was a bit snotty about it. But he said later on, he said, I was being a bit of a wanker. Yeah. He basically come from such a, a radical sort of Marxist ideology. He didn't like the idea of them letting people into their gang. They've already got television. They can't come and play on our... I playground. But he wrote a piece of The Guardian where he mentioned that. And since then, it keeps coming up again as if he still believes that. But in the piece, he makes it quite clear that he sort of... Yeah, it was a bit weird for them to invite what they perceived originally as the enemy in. Mm. But my God, if you're saying that it diminished this show to no, have no, Mel and Griff being brilliant and, and no, Hugh Laurie yeah. and, and Emma Thompson and Stephen Fry being absolutely brilliant. And for God's sake... I mean, I, mean, I mean, I wasn't the right age to appreciate his bits anyway. For, for me, <laughs> you know, I was a bit young and a bit frightened of him. I think I'm still probably a bit frightened of him. But, but yeah. that, was, that was quite often to put the kettle on moment. But I mean, in this one, because he's not trying to be a character, because he's just using his own voice and his own accent and talking about something he's very funny about and doing that. And that the lovely... Revolutionary song, biscuits revolutionary, That mime he does with his yum, 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 yum. yum, yum. Um, that's all... That's all great, but when he when he comes in as a bank robber or as a landlord, you kind of go, oh, yeah. because you were talking about he's got funny bones, and that's absolutely right. But that's a very different thing from having any <laughs> any kind of 
discipline as a performer. I yeah. mean, he lands in the young ones in the same way as Rick Mayo lands in Blackadder, smashes the thing yeah. up. And he comes through it like the Hulk. Yeah. And whereas Rick Mayo, for some reason, goes, goes, he walks out and you go, when's he coming back again? Yeah. Because I liked him smashing stuff up. Yeah. Alexis Hale comes in a lot of the time and you go, mm. oh, he smashed it all up now. They're going to have to get the, they're going to have to put the little train back on the tracks again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to watch them recouple it all and send it off. As I've got older, I've loved his bits more and more because they have this incredible flavour. And also, they are the heritage of where this came from. So, Jeffrey, let's play the Panzer Commander in the Milkmaid, eh? <laughs> well, this, this is the second series. They've done the comic strip between one and two and you can tell they've learned their chops. Mm. They're much better at narrative and controlling their characters and stuff. They've come back with a load of knowledge between between series one and series two that they learned doing extended films for Channel 4. But what this is originally is an attempt to try and... They're going to try and do something that's impossible, which is take the comedy store's feel that you've got the Outer Limits and the, and the Oblivion Boys mm. and, and, and 20th Century Coyote, and you've shoved them into a format. And apparently Lisa Mayer said they sat down and tried to work out what television did well, what was a really <laughs> television thing. And Rick and her came up with two things that television did well, and it was nature documentaries and sitcom. And they said, we decided not to do a nature documentary, so we had to do a sitcom. <laughs> but they said they needed a bucket to put it in, so they chose the one that television did brilliantly, and they chose sitcom. Mm. But it's an odd fit to try and put what's effectively an anarchic, explosive slapstick stage show into a sitcom. Yeah. And it, they, they do smash it up in the process. I'm completely bloody sick of this! <laughs> The series where they put in the flash cuts as well, isn't it? Yeah. There's, a, there's a the end yeah. card from a western or something in the middle of a scene. I didn't realize that's in, that's in this. I didn't realize Paul Jackson. This may be true. It may be misremembered. But Paul Jackson said they were told off for doing because there was a fuss. I think. Oh, because John, because they thought it was like subliminal advertising. Well, apparently the rule was uh, John Lloyd had seen them doing it in this, and then he did one in Spitting Image, and obviously on ITV you can't put. There are mm. rules against it in ITV because of advertising. So they were worried that they get into it. So basically ITV got stopped doing it and then the BBC got cold feet because Spitting Image had been told to stop doing it. And apparently the ones with the Blipvert cards never went out. They weren't broadcast. But they were on the VHSs. So we all remember them being on there. Really? But it might be mm. false memory. Or maybe it's Paul Jackson's false memory. But he said huh. there was a real move to say, for God's sake, don't put those flashcards in. But they're, they're a lovely symbol that the, the actual film itself is breaking down. The form is broken yeah. so much that... Not only can you break the fourth wall and say music and, and cue Motorhead, but you can also just put bits of a frog jumping. I mean, I suppose like Alexi Sale coming in and being the Bolovsky family, he's sort of behaving like like another guest, like the bands are, isn't he? Yeah, really? yeah. it's a variety show. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's made by. I mean, the, the thing to remember about this is thirty five minutes long, mm. and one of the reasons it's thirty five minutes long is it's a variety show. It's not made by the comedy department; it's made by the light end department, and they did that so they got a bigger budget because they needed to blow things up and, and smash stuff up. Yeah. So they got the budget of a I don't know a Morecambe Wise or a, a sketch show where there'd be lots of sets and props and things rather than a sitcom. And the point of sitcom is that it's supposed to be three sets. You film them really quickly and rehearse them really quickly, and this got longer to do that with. Uh, so they have a band on for that reason, and they have uh, a, a, another turn comes on. Ladies and gentlemen, Barbara Dixon, but it's yeah. Alexis. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Ellen. So they get the two Ronnie's budget, which is really odd. You go, well, this has been made like a sketch show, and actually, that's probably why it doesn't feel too odd that it's always a broken series of terrific scenes with these guys rather than a, a proper. At the beginning, we must get a rotovator. At the end of it, we've got a rotovator. Hurrah. It's not the good life structure. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll have to hurry you. I'll have to hurry you. Who is the richest person in the world? Footlights, snot. It's, it's me, isn't it? No, I'm afraid not. Your father's multinational collapsed only this morning. Oh. So, 
as a lovely thing Alexi Sale said in an interview, obviously I had objections to it, it's complicated and all this sort of stuff. He said, but on the other hand, you can't argue that when the University Challenge theme music starts playing and it cuts to them all dancing at the, oh top, my God. At the top thing, waving their arms about. Are... He said, it's just the funniest fucking thing. And there's a bit where you can't resist the young ones yeah. because it's irresistibly funny. Yeah, and, and also, yeah, you're just sitting there going, of course, that's what they do. Of course, <laughs> yes. they wave their arms around. They're as the, excited the, as we are. Yeah. And they're behaving like the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> Um, st- student life, of course, is I think is probably the the way they get away with so much being so bizarre and disgusting yeah. and yeah. dreadful. Yeah. And I wanted to know what your student life was like. <laughs> oh, was it, um, was it sedate? It was. It was not. It wasn't, it wasn't quite as squalid. No, um, no, no. Although no. in my second year, we did have. A, I mean, usually I was in a uh, in, the, in the, my first year. So this was a uh, this is Robinson College, which is one of the newer Cambridge colleges, and it was it was p- partly built as a it was sort of co-built as a conference centre as well, which is why I had my own loo and other extraordinary uh, privileges. But um, luxury. So you were the luxury bedroom. Uh, I was ensuite. Is the is the phrase I'm trying to claw my way to anyway uh and <laughs> i did french and night- hospitality and, management i've no idea what it's called and working kitchens and central heating and kind of stuff that people in the prettier colleges just didn't get <laughs> but in my second year i we were in a student house me and five friends and it did get a little bit like that i mean yeah we weren't very good at doing the washing up and it, there's an old cur- curvy cornered faded polaroid i've got somewhere of we actually bothered to take a picture of the washing up because the washing up had been had just become so it was a quite it was like with nail style matter. There was there were just things spawning in it. Um so yeah, it could get a bit like that. But it but most of the time it was I yeah, by my third year I was starting to look after myself a little bit better. I remember watching two of my flatmates come in and I with well other flatmate and went, What's in that bag? We looked at it and went, oh, ingredients. We realised that everything we bought could be eaten straight out of a packet, but they bought stuff that you needed to do that things we're to. we're going to need a can opener. Can you remember those from home? <laughs> Has anyone brought something from home you can open stuff with? I suppose that they're, one of the reasons this works for a, a bigger audience than they're expecting is that they are behaving like babies. They're behaving mm. like children. And students are sort of children, adults, aren't they? They're sort of between the two. So yeah, I mean, my first year at, at university was definitely the first time I used a, a, a laundrette. You know, I turn up there and you, I'm sort of hanging around the corner watching other students use it done? the laundrette. What do you do? The secrets. The secret, they're going to vouchsafe the secret. I remember... Um, in this thought, you get the washing powder out and then you put it in this... Okay, I, I remember a, a girlfriend um, many years ago. Um, I was visiting her in her student accommodation, and she said, "I think I'll, um, I think I'll, I'll make some food." And I sort of got very nervous and said, "Are you, are you sure? To, is that?" You know, and she said, "Yeah, no, it's really, really easy." I couldn't cook at the time at all, and she said, "No, no, no, it looks really easy. You, you, you can definitely cook. I'll show you. Right, all you need, right, is a pan of boiling water, some pasta, and one teaspoon of marmite." Oh, that's cooking. Now That's then. cooking went, all right. Actually, yeah, you will end up with both edible matter and something that tastes of something at the end of that process, <laughs> won't you? Which is it's the magic ingredient, salt. Yeah. <laughs> Matting brown. Which makes, which makes everything better. Yeah. At the end of it, the plate will look brown and the washing up. That's yeah. the achievement. If it's blue, you'll be less interested in eating it. <laughs> I've made it the colour of mum food. Talking about uh, student life and things, I think that's one of the things you grow into that's quite delightful about the young ones and why I imagine Ben Elton's chuffed with the revision scene in the mm. train is at the beginning you watch it and it's mainly about people smashing each other and things exploding and exploding bricks and throwing the television <laughs> through the window. <laughs> yeah, but it's full of mad shit. Brilliant! And then when, then when, you, then when you get older, 
Well, certainly when you become a student, it's a whole different thing because actually the observation about, not about actually how squalid student life was, because by the time I was mm. a student, we'd moved on and things were a bit more civilised. Mm. But the stuff about revision and uh, your relationship with your parents and money, all of that is actually pretty good. It's pretty spot on. There are... Neil describing getting his gonk and his special gonk oh, and his lovely gonk out for his exam, the boredom of summer holidays. They get all that, weirdly, for a non-observational show. It's pretty spot on. And yeah. it's it's more like a metaphorical experience of what it felt like being a student than an actual representation of it. It's not bad. Mm. I think you grow into that and then I think it becomes a different show when you go, oh, yeah, I've, I've probably done things as stupid as that. I think also, I think that there is a line from The Young Ones to Peep Show, isn't there? It feels like there's some heritage there. Ooh, I don't know. It's such an invidious comparison. I can certainly say that, you know, Peep Show is there because The Young Ones was there because, you know, it inspired not just me, but I think Sam and Jesse loved that show as well. I think David's not one of David's favourites, but David, of course, loved it too. The extreme things happen in Peep Show and you eventually get someone eating his girlfriend's dog. Yeah. yeah, but that but Sam and Jesse get there through these tiny logical half steps until it it all makes perfect sense. Of course, Jeremy they can't jump. Of course, to Jeremy it. is now eating his yeah, yeah. dog in front of him. <laughs> Um, whereas the playing style was always quite low key, really. I mean, because we came along, it felt like the middle of this kind of mumbling verite thing going on with the the royal family uh, being the main example of that. Mm. 15 Stories High was around at the same time, which was a very, very low key flat share. And that wasn't really, that that wasn't really where me and David came from, really, because we're, (laughs) you know, we're, review based and we stood yeah. on the stage and we yelled at each other <laughs> and we did these two man two man shows where we would play all the characters and there would usually be a, some kind of super villain and some kind of hero and some kind of, we had Salieri and his sidekick Puck which was just my impression <laughs> of the guy at the end of Dead Poet Society with his fucking twiggy leaves and, and hands Sean Leonard Leonard Sean thingy <coughs> Robert the, Sean Leonard the one who yeah. spoilers Let's not have that. <laughs> I like that we're, we're, we're too close to the release of Dead Poets Society to spoil it for people. <laughs> Come on, too soon, too soon, <laughs> too soon. As performers, we were quite we were quite a lot bigger than that, really. So, but but fortunately, because Mark and Jeremy spend so much time arguing with each other, I did get to you know have that cathartic. I mean, cathartic from <laughs> cathartic from me and David because we spent so much time with each other. It was actually quite useful that we got to get on set and really yell at each other. <laughs> and I think I think that you know a lot of uh, a lot of the tension was was got out that way. I remember thinking that what occasionally what I'd see in Peep Show was slow burns, as you say towards a point where those two characters who are played realistically will do something that's out of the young ones. Yeah. The, the salad that, that, that David's character makes. Yes. The, the fucking the terrible dinner party. <laughs> Even sellotaping the remote controls together. They're all quite big young ones jokes. Well, and all it is is it feels like a, an incredibly elaborate series of points to get to a point where something from the young ones can happen. Yeah, I mean, watching <laughs> uh, uh, Bambi, actually, there were a couple of moments that reminded me retrospectively and in the wrong order of Peep Show, which yeah. was um, uh, Vivian uh, picks up a dead rat and, of course, takes a bite <laughs> out of it. And then, and, the, and also Neil's whole thing about how he's about to piss on... Lord Snot yeah. reminded yeah. me of the of the, the crab bucket and you know and Jeremy pissing himself at the wedding. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that <laughs> it's perfectly possible these things went into Sam and Jesse's heads, stayed there for thirty eight years, and then yeah. <laughs> and then came out. But you do have some quite big things in Peep Show, but a lot of the time we are we are kind of talking to each other. And before somebody gets very angry, we're kind of just talking to each other in a, in a relatively naturalistic way. I mean, I, I hate to use that word because this Peep Show came after years of you know, going to auditions 
and having the casting director say, well, it's not really funny funny. It's um, comedy, but we don't want it to be too broad. What we're looking for is something very real. Um, but also, and you felt like going, so what you're asking me is um, make sure that the audience believes in the character, but don't forget to be funny. What you're saying is do your job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but there, there would always be, it was very voguish to have this long fucking tortured speech about how we, we don't do jokes anymore. We're, we're too clever for, for, for funny stuff. We want you to play it as if uh, completely straight. And you feel like, going, you know what, I could play this completely straight and it wouldn't be funny. Yes. But what, what you're paying me to do, what I hope you will one day pay me to do, <laughs> is to play it completely straight with a completely mysterious way that I have of slightly inflecting something or timing something or doing something. I don't know how I do it, but but it, I can do it. I've been doing yeah. it since I was 13. And <laughs> that's, that's what you want. Don't tell me to do it straight. That will be shit. There's an odd binary thing of going, there are two modes to be in, like metal or normal, basically. Mm-hmm. There are two modes, which is funny or, or, or real. Mm. And the, the odd thing you is can't, that... Yeah, yeah. You can't... The odd thing is that that's not true. Because no. the whole comedy comes from reality anyway. The, the joy of the young ones, which is just all the funny, everything's in there just because it's funny, because it made them laugh, because hopefully it makes you laugh. The performances are big, but... Rick's real. Rick's completely real. Rick's real. Neil's real. They're, see, they're all real. You can see it right in his eyes. His intention and what he's thinking. He's a completely That's why real you're laughing. life human being. That's why you're laughing. Because you know. That's the only reason we're laughing. Yeah. We it's, couldn't it's, possibly laugh unless we believed that that person was real. And it's, a, it's an odd mistake to make to think that there is drama and there are comedy. They're two separate things. But they are meshed together. And the reality of performance is why you're laughing. You're laughing because you know what Rick's going to do next. Yeah. Even if he's, oh, supposedly anarchic. Yeah, I know what Vivian's going to do next. He's going to pull the front of the house in. It's funny, when I've done, <laughs> when I've done the odd straighter part, like the, the character in Ambassadors, and I played, uh, uh, and I did a marple once, and, I, and, and for a while I was doing that a bit more. And I thought, what do other actors do when they don't have to get a laugh at the end of the line? <laughs> and it turns out they just fiddle with their props more. <laughs> Really, I is think that, so. Is that it? Yeah, it's well, a I, think, I think that's a that's a lot. That's a lot of it. Yeah, you're, <laughs> because, you're, you're I never, inside because, the actor studio. Because much because shorter than everyone else. <laughs> definitely in <laughs> definitely in Peep Show and the Sketch Show. I got to we both Dave and I being lazy bastards and being afraid of continuity. We would avoid as much prop stuff as possible. You know, our ideal sketch is two people sitting down and talking and not touching anything, <laughs> 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 because you can distract the audience. But I think the audience, it's not like the audience will miss it, but the, the, it will look slightly less real if you're not touching stuff. Honestly, I promise you. And so it, you can, it, that doesn't matter, though, as long as you're being funny. When you're not being funny, you definitely need to do more stuff. You definitely <laughs> need to pick up more boxes and walk down more corridors, like in the West Wing. Yeah, you just have to do more more fiddling around, I Business. Think. Yeah, it's all about more, the business. More business, yeah. I wonder that. You watch things where, again, questions of reality and what's realistic and what's not realistic. And obviously, the young ones, it's heightened, it's not realistic. But you get those things where you watch uh, exciting HBO dramas and people are doing the West Wing walk and talk. Yeah. And every so often you go, where are they going? <laughs> and the answer is, they're not going anywhere. It's just that the director does not want to have a static shot. Mm. And the audience wants to feel that something's happening. And you go, I don't think I've been in an office where I've walked around telling people. I tend to <laughs> wait till I'm at the place well, we're having the meeting. And I sit down and we say, between coming into the studio from our office around the corner, we didn't talk about the important business on the way here. No, that's never the, happened. Let's get to the place before we, and then we can have a sit down. <laughs> but weirdly, people that don't that do seems enough, People don't do enough sitting down. <laughs> yeah, people should sit down more and not pick things up. I remember in the in the first series, there's a bit where I think more, this, I'm sure this happens more than once, where Mike, 
uh, Chris Ryan has a speech and he's sitting down at a table. He gets up, he does the speech whilst walking around the table and then he ends the speech sitting down again. And to my eye, that looks a bit like someone who hasn't been out of drama school for long. Oh. That's the kind of thing they would teach you in an audition. Here's your monologue. Get up, walk around the table, end, end, on, the, busy. end on the chair again. And I can mm. kind of imagine him doing that in the rehearsal room and Jeff Posner or whoever it was going, oh, that looks proper. Uh, <laughs> let, let's do that. And I'm not, I'm not having a go at uh, people who train, by the way, because by the time you're in your mid-twenties, people who didn't and people who did, they kind of merged together and they sort of, they sort of learned things from each other. I remember seeing a, a VHS tape of, a, of a, a student show that I was in and I only watched it a couple of years later. And I'm standing there and um, I'm, I've got one arm uh, just loose down my side, but my left hand, for some reason, is hovering just where my hip would be. I've got a slightly crooked arm. My my left hand's just in the middle. My, I'm just looking at it going, why why is he doing that? Oh, that's the script. That's the script that I was holding for those three weeks oh. before. And I'm holding this phantom script oh, still. Oh, wow. And when you don't train, you are more likely to miss this kind of thing. And you have to work on your own, work on your own to, to notice what you're doing with your body and what you're doing with your voice otherwise you know you will have these bad habits and um and i think at, at drama school they get that, that kind of thing they're very good at training that out of you i'm saying what is a neutral yeah. pose for you what will read neutral mm, to an yeah. audience because yeah. the audience will suddenly all they'll see is they go well that person's not standing comfortably because mm. it's the same as anything stand up or anything it's just going the audience has got to go i've got confidence in this person they're real mm. i know what they're gonna i hope I, they're going to entertain me i feel and someone standing with their hands in the wrong place sends a body language signal that you don't even know you're reading. Well, it's says, funny. I mean, just, we're not in safe hands. This is I, fucking dangerous. I was talking about touching things. And actually, uh, I, my sister has a friend who is in an amateur dramatic society in Preston. And I went when I went to see my sister, she took me along and I watched an amateur production of uh, Blythe Spirit. And I hadn't seen really, really bad actors for a very long time in a in a, th yeah. in a theater <laughs> setting her friend fortunately was was absolutely fine but a lot of the other people you see them what they <laughs> what they do and bless them everyone loves a bad actor but they they can't help slightly touching the furniture if they're standing <laughs> if they're standing near a table they have to not quite lean on it but sort of make contact with it or or a door frame <laughs> <laughs> or they, they pick up a glass and put it down again while they're talking, and then they say things to they say things to the furniture. It was really sweet. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Neil, I hate you. One of the reasons I think this is aged okay, and a lot of stuff you go back and uh, and you go, oh, this is slow because mm. it's not slow. It's really fast. Mm. Unlike a lot of stuff from this era, it feels really quick. The comic strip I find a little bit slow now. Yeah. This feels really fast. And the reason is the screen is full of busy, again, it's like a cartoon. Mm. Every character has been animated by the person acting them to be busy and doing something in character. There's lots to see and you notice things you didn't see before. But I do wonder whether, even though it's busy and fast, if you come to this now fresh, you wouldn't get it at all. You wouldn't get why everyone talked about it. I know people who mm. are slightly younger than us who were mad, so weren't mad for Bottom, which yeah. is the same antic energy in a different yeah. situation. I look at Bottom and go, it's not the young ones. Yeah. Even though it's great, it's not the young ones. And this, It's like the fruit pastel, you know, it's like having all the red ones in a, <laughs> in a, in a fruit pastel <laughs> bag, which, which, is, which is great. And you sort of think, I, did I, want, I, want, I thought I wanted this. I thought I wanted nothing but the red fruit pastels. <laughs> but actually, it turns out I did want Alexis Sale being green. Yeah. And I did, and yeah, I did yeah. want a band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wonder whether that, that thing of it, it being a thing of itself and a thing of its own, whether it would just puzzle 
uh, if you if you show, I showed it to my son recently, and he went, "What is this?" And I went, "But it's just his cartoon characters being stupid." And he went, "I don't get why you're watching this. Is this one of those ones you can't pass on to your kids?" Because I found Father Ted's really easy to pass on, and Forty Towers really easy to pass I on. You know what? I haven't tried. Really. I wonder I mean, if it I, would just get blank mine looks. Are, mine are uh, eight and ten now. Uh, I know for. <laughs> They don't really, I'm not sure they know what's going on a lot of the time, but they were really <laughs> addicted to Frasier. They, they, were, they were watching Frasier constantly. They had it on series record. Let's watch more Frasier. And then they're constantly asking questions. Frasier, of course, being an American family sort of network show, it can be very rude, but it works through innuendo. Yeah. And so you've always got, you know, what's, how, how many people has Ros been banging? Yeah. And, and so you've got jokes about, slightly dated, I must say, politically, jokes about Ros being promiscuous and that this being a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and so the girls are kind of asking questions about that. And they, but they love The Simpsons and they love Gumball more than anything. Yeah. Um, so I think they would probably, but I haven't really tried, apart from, I don't know why that happened with Frasier, but I haven't particularly tried to, to, Show them stuff that I really loved because I think they, if they're too young to get it the first time, I then I've ruined it for them. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm I'm tempted to be a bit precious and leave it another couple of years before I show them, Forty Towers or the young ones or or Blackout or any of that. And Black Blackout is definitely too rude for them at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know those shows. Well, just, you're just so they've got they've got a chance of. Enjoying I would it. be worried that it would frighten. Uh, my kids because genuinely yeah. the first time I saw the young ones when, when was the first series 82 yeah, was it so I'd it have was. been 10 probably and it scared me Yeah, it actually scared me I couldn't work out what these four monsters were doing <laughs> you know? who let well, them on my television I, I was scared of Alexi but I wasn't scared of Vivian because I didn't I didn't think Vivian was going to hurt me I thought he was <laughs> I thought he was going to hurt Rick yes he was <laughs> yes um Whereas, whereas Alexi has that genuine danger to him, and he he's just he just really might climb out of the TV screen and hit you. <laughs> he's like the Begbie of the gang. He's the one who's, he really who's, is. who's going to throw a glass. <laughs> but it's it's odd. But I'm wondering whether I would be worried, like you were constantly shooting a look at your partner, sort of say, "Is is this? These are my people. Are they really funny?" Because yeah. I love it so much. I'm I'm slightly precious about it and thinking I don't mind if the next generation don't get the young ones. Mm. I know how important it was for me. Mm. And that it said anything goes and that I can't... It was probably the first thing I couldn't... My parents liked comedy. And this is the first thing I couldn't explain to them in the way they probably couldn't explain the goons to their parents. Yeah. That this would... Ju- it's just nonsense. It's just energy. It's just, it's, it's as much, it makes as much sense as the Ying Tong song. It's just a, yeah, a, a, a yeah. burst of, of unrepressed, uh, anarchic it's teenage so, chaos. It's so joyful. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, there's so much joy in the energy. And that's, I think that's, that was the sense of discovery that I had. Mm. These people are having such a good time. And can I do that for my job, please? Spike Milligan hated it. Really? I remember seeing him interviewed on Wogan, and he said, I watched some of the young ones the other night, and it basically seemed to consist of someone, and then Spike Milligan just blew a raspberry and stuck two fingers up at the camera. Right. That was all he could see. Oh, Spike dear. Milligan <laughs> didn't find the young ones funny. But well, that's often takes all sorts. But that's it? often the way, isn't it? There's the great story I was told once about Bob Morton the first time he saw Harry Hill. <laughs> I love this story. Said, um, "Have you seen this uh, Harry Hill guy? What does this thing? This thing is like you got to have a system beef and le- makes no sense." <laughs> My friend said. But but what you and Jim do is a bit like that. No, what we do is traditional variety. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> and 
I think sometimes anarchists think that they're making, because it makes sense in their head, there's a beautiful logic mm. to it, that someone else whose logic is just two inches to the left looks like absolute nonsense. They don't realise that that's what their stuff looks like. I think it's quite good that Spike Milligan thought it was terrible because that should be, the next generation should not make any sense to the previous generation. And it should be theirs. But this definitely belongs to the people making it. And it definitely belongs to the people who watched it. And the reason that the three of us are sitting here going, it was amazing, and sort of not caring if anyone else understands, is that you went, no, it was, it was mine. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. mine. It's ours. Um, thank you so much for bringing in. Oh, Bambi! Thank you, thank you so much for having me. Great.